imagine a sixth grade basketball team on the court. They're a bit awkward in their coordination, but they have Michael Jordan on their team in his prime. The sixth grade team with Michael Jordan would win every game. It would be no contest. Success would be guaranteed with Michael Jordan on your team? Come on, with a bunch of sixth graders? Uh, the team would have the greatest confidence in every game. And I want you to consider that you can look at sharing the gospel with the same confidence, the same assurance of success, because we have a superstar in our team. Welcome to the Wildfire Gospel Podcast, where the topic centers on freedom and fun in evangelism. My name is Ed Waken, and in this episode, we're going to be exploring the Trinity's commitment to our success whenever we share the gospel. It really should be encouraging. If I'm correct in my understanding that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all committed to your success in sharing the gospel, then you will be accomplishing the Trinity's purpose every time you talk about the gospel of Jesus. And that means that you have complete success every time you talk about Christ. I mean, you have the Trinity giving you what to say and how to say it. But we need to flesh that out and check it out to see if the scripture actually teaches that. But many people wrestle with some level of fear when talking about important issues. You know, whether the topic is a health issue in your life or uh, a political topic, a theological issue, a, a gender issue, or a salvation, the gospel issue, uh, we all have some level of anxiety or fear because we often feel ill-equipped in conversing about weighty things. Above uh, all of those above topics, that causes fear or may cause us fear, they need to be faced and addressed by beginning a conversation. And the same is true about talking about the gospel. It begins with a conversation, a conversation with God, Lord, as we'll see in Colossians and Ephesians, and conversations with people who aren't yet believers. When we enter into conversations about maybe origins, origins. How does the world get here? Is it created? Is it evolved? Is God engaged with his creation? If you believe in creation, is God not engaged with his creation after he created it? Whenever you have a conversation about origins of the universe or about God in general or life after death, believers need to know that they have someone larger and better than Michael Jordan on their team. And therefore, the conversation that they have or the conversations that they have will end up being no contest because God will not be distracted from accomplishing his purpose in those conversations when we're sharing the gospel. Let me share with you the all-star players that are on your team when you engage people in the conversations about God's good news. And these all-star players, as you know, would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all on your team. I want to begin by talking about the Trinity's involvement 
uh, every time you share the gospel, their involvement with you whenever you share the gospel. Uh, and that makes it a no contest conversation, actually. Doesn't matter how you feel about the conversation, the end result is God is going to accomplish what he wants. I want to begin with a broad example of the Trinity's involvement in spiritual conversations, an example from the scriptures, and then move to some more solid uh, biblical uh, truth about this topic. Uh, the first example includes some liberty as I read between the lines of a story in Acts chapter 3, but it should be fun uh, to think together about how the Trinity uh, may have been involved in this uh, interaction with Peter and John and a, and a lame man. Uh, when he's on our team, how he can maybe share with us what to say and how to say it. So let's have some uh, fun looking at this example and exploring things about how the Trinity's involved every time we share the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 7. Acts 3, 1 through 7, and I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. Here they are, Acts 3, 1 through 7. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, and the man who had been lame from his mother's womb was carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. That's the end of Acts 3, 1 through 7. Now, Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he takes his audience to a scene of Peter and John headed to the temple to pray. Luke tells us it was, it was the ninth hour or about 3 p.m. in the afternoon for today. Jewish days began at 6 p.m. Um, and then, so nine hours would make it 3 p.m. So this was about 3 p.m. and there was an hour of prayer for the Jewish community. Acts 3.1 leads me to understand that going to prayer at 3 p.m. each day was a custom of Peter and John and likely many of Jewish believers. In Acts 3.2, we learned that a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was placed at the gate called Beautiful every day. Uh, the purpose of his friends placing him at this gate at 3 p.m. was for him to beg alms, to beg money, so he could eat, pay his rent, survive at he couldn't work, he couldn't walk, he needed people to support him. It's important to note that the scripture tells us he sat there apparently every day at the same gate, at the same time, to ask people for a handout in giving him money. Now whether Peter and John used the entrance uh, to the temple using the beautiful gate, as Acts 3, 1 through 7 tells us they did on this day. Whether they used it every day, some days, once a week, it's unclear. 
Uh, it's not too far of a stretch to think that they often, at least often, use this gate to enter into the temple for the hour of prayer. If they had used this gate to enter the temple in the past, they would have seen this man sitting there begging for money because the scripture says he was set there every day. This causes me to ask, why would they pay special attention to this man on this day? Why did they not engage this man on any other day? Why did they choose to engage and heal this man on this particular day and not the week prior or not the week following? The best answer seems to be that God wanted to create another situation for the gospel to expand at that particular time. Another question that rumbles around in my mind is, why did this lame man ask to receive money from Peter and John specifically? Scripture says he fixed his, he taught, he looked directly at Peter and John looking for money. Many people were flowing through the gate to come to the hour of prayer. It was likely crowded with people streaming into the temple. And the lame man focusing on Peter and John seemed to be a God-inspired occurrence. So whether Peter and John frequented the temple through this gate or not, God seemed to be orchestrating this event for his glory and the expansion of his kingdom. In Acts 3, verse 4, it says, Peter fixed his gaze on the lame man and spoke with a commanding statement. What was a commanding statement? Look at us! The man born lame expected to receive money from Peter and John. What did he receive? What he did receive, though, was something much greater, right? He got to walk. It's doubtful that Peter and John conferred on their way to the temple, you know, talking with each other. Hey, John, what do you think? Uh, uh, I think today, you know, that guy that sits there every day on the left side, uh, you know, with the, usually with the brown stripe uh, tunic there. Yeah, that guy, what do you think? It looks like he's never walked. I mean, I, one time I saw some people like setting him down. He's always at, what do you think we go heal him today? I don't think that conversation happened. But they were doing what they had been trained to do by Christ. Uh, to look for people with needs and meet them. But why this day? They were also doing what they were trained to do by tradition, which is to go to the temple and pray at three o'clock before the evening sacrifice. That was their custom. As I think about this encounter, I envision God nudging the lame man to notice Peter and John and simultaneously speaking to Peter to command the lame man to look at them. So you got God saying, hey, layman, look at these two guys coming up here on your right. And to Peter, he's saying, hey, take that layman, look at him and tell him, look at us, command him to look at you. And that's exactly what happened. At this moment between the layman and Peter and John locking eyes with him, I wonder if Peter knew what was going to happen next. If he knew what he was going to say. If he thought, I'm going to heal this guy. Acts 3.6 tells us that neither Peter nor John had any silver or gold with him. So he knew he wasn't going to give him money. I imagine as Peter locked eyes with the lame man, Peter prayed asking God, okay, God, now what do I say? You told me to look at this guy. You told me to tell him to look at me. What's next? I don't know. I mean, that prayer probably happened in a nanosecond. But in that moment of prayer, Peter heard and repeated to the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. With that, a new outbreak of the gospel spread. Uh, it spread far and wide with another message given by Peter. 
in Acts chapter 4, where 5,000 men uh, were saved uh, at the end of that message. And Peter and John were arrested after that. And the Jewish leaders were left in a quandary, if you look at Acts 4.16. So in this passage, Peter was listening and repeating what God spoke to him, causing thousands, 5,000 men, to place their trust in Jesus. Peter and John would have had no idea all of this was going to take place as they walked to the temple for a prayer meeting. And I'm telling you, I think that this was the Trinity, God himself, in all three persons involved in this interaction. Maybe the Spirit nudged the lame man to look at Peter and John. Maybe the Son gave uh, Peter the words to say. And uh, maybe the Father gave him the words to say at the message where 5,000 people got saved. We're not told which of the Trinity did any of this, but it seems certain that because God wants his message to get out, that they were all involved in this interaction. And I want to tell you, I think it's the same for all of us whenever we choose to share the gospel. Because we're all afraid when it happens, right? We're all like, I don't know what to say. But, but God does. And he, knows exactly, and he lives in us, right? So that was kind of a fun, kind of extrapolated some ideas. I inserted some thoughts, read between the lines. I uh, was a little bit sloppy with understanding what might be happening and reading myself into what I thought it could look like. It's all honestly what happened there. I think it's really possible. But now let's turn our Bibles to Colossians 4, 2 through 6, and kind of give some, some additional scripture that I think really supports how I envision what happened in Acts 3 and how the Trinity is completely involved in this. So Acts chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. I'm again reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Acts 2, Acts 4, excuse me, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up for us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Now, in this passage, we can see that prayer is vital for us to hear from God, for what we are to speak, what we are to say to not yet believers in every conversation where the gospel is told. Paul tells us that we are to be devoted or to persevere or be committed in prayer with alertness, he tells us in verse 2, and an acknowledgement of God's involvement. We need to have thanksgiving as we pray and ask God for the words to say. What are we to be alert in prayer to? Well, first of all, in this passage, we need to understand what he wants us to be alert to, but prayer is a two-way communication with God. It's a conversation. If we are alert in our conversation with the Trinity, if we're consciously speaking to, the, to God and we're consciously understanding that he's hearing us and we are looking for his response, uh, we should be expecting him 
uh, to respond in our conversations. Right? We're talking to God. We should expect Him to respond. So being alert in our prayers to God with an attitude of thanksgiving, uh, we're to be expecting with thankfulness that God is hearing us and He's going to respond as He sees fit. Now, and Paul expands his discussion on prayer by asking for the Colossian believers to be praying for him in verse 3. Paul wants these believers in Colossae to pray for him. His request is for them to ask God to open up a door or an opening for the word to be spoke. Paul said, I need to, would you ask God to really swing the, I just need to know where and when to speak the gospel. Have them open up an opportunity for me. That's certainly referring to the gospel's uh, message. Paul wants more people to pray and ask God to show Paul himself what to speak and to whom to speak to open up that door. And that's something we are to be doing with our own friends in our house churches. We are to be doing that for ourselves. We are doing that for one another. Are we praying and asking God, open the door, God. Open a way, open the opportunity so we can speak the gospel. That's part of what prayer in, in this passage in Colossians is about. It's also a way, uh, by Paul asking them for prayer about this, it's a way for him to instruct the Colossians to be praying the same thing for themselves. Not only for him, but for themselves. He's teaching them about evangelism. And the door that Paul wants God to open is that he and others will speak boldly the mystery of Christ's gift of salvation. Paul was so passionate for others to hear the gospel that he was thrown in prison for sharing the gospel. And I think we need to imitate Paul's passion that likely won't, but maybe could, come with imprisonment. We need to imitate godly people as they imitate Christ, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. But back to Colossians 4, verse 4, Paul gets even more direct about what his prayer request is about. Paul wants God to make clear to him the way he is to speak, the way he ought to speak, as the New American Standard puts it. This indicates that God's answer to Paul's prayer and the prayer of the Colossians for Paul will be that Paul will be given, or whoever you pray for, will be given the right words to speak at the right time to have God's purpose accomplished in that conversation and have complete confidence that that's going to happen. God, um, God knows what each person needs to hear in the moment. Paul was confident that as people prayed for him, as he prayed the same thing, that God would come through and make it clear that what is needed to be said in every presentation of the gospel, what is needed to be heard, what is needed to be registered with the person or the people we're speaking with, that he would, God would make sure that happened. This makes the interaction a no-contest victory for the purposes of God, whatever that is for his glory. Now, Paul then switches uh, from depending on God's work in these evangelistic situations to the believer's responsibility. Paul exhorts the Colossians to have wisdom. Wisdom in dealing with not yet believers. Wisdom is the trait of utilizing knowledge and experience with common sense and insight. And, and Paul was 
also instructs these believers and you and I to see every interaction with not yet believers as an opportunity for the mystery of Christ, the gospel, to be told to them. We must be listening both horizontally to what others are saying, and we also must be listening vertically to what God is saying, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, so that we can know what needs to be spoken in each conversation. When God gives us the words that he knows others need to hear, and then we repeat them, there's no way you can have failure. I mean, God guarantees us 100% success 100% of the time. And our speech is always, always to be with grace. That's at the, near the end of our passage here in Colossians 4. Grace is the beneficial goodwill of God to others. What better goodwill is there than for not yet believers to hear of God's free gift of salvation? An offering that is amazing for all of us who were at one time his enemy. Uh, the grace of the message is to be seasoned with salt, and salt brings purity, salt brings flavor, salt brings preservation. Uh, this combination of grace, this beneficial goodwill, that's what grace is, and the combination of salt, purity, and flavor of the free gift of salvation, the combination of grace and salt will instruct us to know just what to say in our response to everyone. We share the good news. Success is guaranteed every time. How much clearer could Paul have been? He told us the importance of prayer. Uh, he told us that we need to be alert in it, that God's going to be speaking to us. Uh, he told us that we need to be praying that God will open up the opportunity for us to speak forth the mystery of Christ and that God will make it clear exactly what I'm supposed to speak to accomplish his purpose in that conversation. And that is amazing that God would give us all of that. But I want, as, we, as we begin to wind down, I want to give you one more section of scripture that's similar to Colossians 4. So turn over in your Bibles uh, to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, we'll look at verse 15 and then 18 through 20 pretty quickly. I want you to see that it's not just uh, the Acts 3 kind of Ed read into it, but kind of looks like it could be true. But then when we look at Colossians 4, and we see that Paul said, hey, get, pray that I'll know exactly what to say and how to say it, that really could match with Acts 3. But here's even more evidence from the scripture that the Trinity is committed to your success every time you share the gospel. Here's what Ephesians 6 verse 15 and then 18 through 20 says. And remember, this is all part of the armor of God that we are to be putting on. Ephesians 6, 15, And having shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now again, this passage is part of the armor of God. It's the tail end of it. Uh, and Paul says it's necessary 
to put on the armor of God so we're strong in Christ. Uh, there are many similarities between this passage in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 4 section of scripture we dove into a bit ago. These verses from Ephesians 6, I think, will serve to you know, strengthen our no contest example uh, from Acts 3 and then Colossians 4. So here are just some highlights to note from Ephesians 6 without diving as deeply as we did in the Colossians 4 passage. First of all, in, in Ephesians 6, 15, a part of God's protection uh, for us to be strong in Christ is to have shoes of the gospel of peace. So wherever we go, we're to take the gospel with us. There to be on the, we're, to, we're to kind of leave our footprint of the gospel wherever we go. And this is for all believers. All believers are to be evangelizers as they go through life. And then in verses 6 through 18, it's, we see the importance of prayer again, as we did in Colossians 4. Uh, and it's connected to evangelism, again, as in Colossians 4. So here are some themes that you can see. Well, then I can see how maybe in Acts 3, Peter was praying, hey, God, what do I say to this lame guy? It really starts making sense, even though that's not told us directly in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 3. Um, all believers are to be active in taking the gospel with them every, everywhere they go. So that's the prayer part. We're to be praying. And he says we're to be praying in the Spirit at all times. Now, many are intimidated or unsure what that phrase actually means, but we can simply, I think, understand it. Uh, and Paul really gives some more details in another letter he wrote, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, to give us some broader insights to what it means to be praying in the Spirit at all times. Here's what Romans 8, 26 and 27 says. Uh, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we pray, the Spirit who lives in us takes what we mean and intercedes for us according to God's will. The Spirit's insights are so vast that his intersection is too strong for human words. He searches our hearts and prays for us in better ways than we can do on our own as he intercedes for us. Uh, here's another way that God ensures us that he has our back uh, for evangelism. When we're praying to open my mind to hear what God says, to open the heart of people I'm talking to, for God to give me the words to say, the boldness, the opportunities. As I'm praying that, the Holy Spirit's interceding, interpreting, and praying much better than I could ever have done. Jumping back to Ephesians 6, verse 19, Paul also asked for prayer that he will be given the right words to speak. In verse 20, he asked for prayer to be able to speak boldly as he ought to speak, which is very similar language to Colossians 4. This is another insight that even the Apostle Paul needed the help of the Trinity to give him the right words at the right time to accomplish the will of God in each and every conversation about the gospel. All of these passages together teach us that the Trinity God himself is directly involved in helping us share the gospel powerfully, boldly, 
and precisely with the words that are needed in each and every interaction where the gospel or part of the gospel is presented. This makes every encounter and sharing the gospel a no-contest win for the spreading of the gospel. We can have confidence that God is totally committed to work through us to accomplish his success. You can't get a better teammate for the gospel than that. Well, I hope this podcast has helped you to understand and have encouragement and equipping uh, that you can share the gospel as you understand what the scriptures teach us regarding giving away of the good news as we engage people who don't yet know Christ. It's so refreshing to me to see God's enablement of all believers to share the gospel with a total commitment. So if you'd like more information about Wildfire Gospel, I want you to go to wildfiregospel.com or wildfiregospel.org, and there you'll find some information on getting equipped to share your faith in Jesus naturally and freely. While you're on the webpage, you can find information about my book, Wildfire, The Fearless Spread of the Gospel, and the link where you can purchase it. Once again, wildfiregospel.com is where to go to stay connected. And if you like this podcast and you want to hear more of them, feel free to subscribe to the Wildfire Gospel Podcast on Apple Podcasts and be sure to share it with a friend as well. So I hope these thoughts have been of some benefit to you today. Remember, the Trinity is committed to your success in evangelism every day, every moment. So keep praying and asking him to show you that truth. Have a great rest of your day.